0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, I have a very exciting guest on for this podcast episode. It's Tawny Lyons, who is a somatic and depth therapist focus on intimacy. And in today's episode, we're going to be exploring the karmic imprints surrounding relationships. Um, so Tani is just the perfect guest <laughs> for discussing <laughs> this topic with us, um, especially since intimacy tends to be an area um, where a lot of our Like karmic patterns come up, um, a lot of our default modes that that we can kind of get stuck in, these karmic loops and cycles. Um, So, I'm really, really excited to have Tani on. And actually, Tani and I are going to be doing a course on relationships, um, the conscious love course, um, in about a month now. So, April 1st and 2nd, it's a weekend from 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. each day. We'll be coming together to explore explore relationships um, from both a psychological perspective with Tani's expertise and an astrological perspective with mine. Um, So I want to give Tani an opportunity to introduce herself and then we'll dig in. Yay, thank you so much for having me. You're (laughs) welcome. Thank you for coming on. (laughs) Yeah, I'm super stoked to be doing
1: this workshop with you. Um, And yeah, I feel like you did a great intro. I don't know what else I have to say about it. That. <laughs> uh, That's really yeah. fine.
0: Yeah, I do Maybe love it. Wanna... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, yeah.
1: I was just going to say, I do really love working with people around their own self-connection and connection and relationships. And I feel like the way that you hold astrology and archetypal astrology is so helpful as another lens and just understanding the inner landscapes of our world.
0: Thank you. And um do you want to maybe just give us a little bit of history as to how you got interested in doing this kind of work? Um, <laughs> I'm guessing some of it might have something to do with like personal life
1: experience. <laughs> as yes. these
0: often do. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, totally.
1: Yeah. Ye old wounded healers path. <laughs> the yes. well traversed. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, it's such a hard question to answer because I feel like so many things led me to here yeah. um but when it comes to intimacy, I think from a very young 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 age I was really interested in how people work and connection and how to be in connection with people and I didn't feel like I was good at it mm-hmm. um and you know it wasn't I felt kind of isolated and so I was it, it almost like I felt like when I was younger more like the kind of poet that would write things in the corner versus be a part of things. Mm -hmm. I just was like researching from a young age and, um, at one point, used one of those really, really, really old like camcorders or whatever they're called that are like thirty pounds on your shoulder. My mom was in a filmmaking class. Me and this little kid in the um, neighborhood, the cul-de-sac, went around like <laughs> this is totally inappropriate. But we <laughs> went around interviewing each other about sex, and we, were like, <laughs> 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 we absolutely deleted the tapes back when there were tapes on there. <laughs> But, you know, I just feel like that laid the foundation of like being, you know, sex and intimacy therapist from a young age of just being really interested in the workings of
0: um, of ourselves. Oh, my gosh. I love that. (laughs) That is so funny. It's funny because I like. I was such a late bloomer in that regard. And um, when like all of my friends were asking their parents about sex, I was yeah. still like totally in my own world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and people would come to school and start talking about things. And I was just like, why am I such a child? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so I love that <laughs> we kind of balance each other in that regard. so um, but I was super interested in like love um, or what I thought love meant from a very young age and would like pretend that I was going to prom when I was playing with my Barbies because that was like the epitome of love. (laughs) Um, But again, like, you know, we're about to dive in, but like, you know, different conditioning around these things, like maybe like you know, my Disney princess Barbie and Ken conditioning, you know, brought me on this different path. And, Mm -hmm. um, and and all of that like kind of lays this foundation for what we expect in relationships, um, kind of our interests in relationships. So, um, yeah. so I love that you shared that. That's really fun. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's so real too. And now I'm wondering. This is more your
1: world, but like I wonder if Venus and Mars have anything to do with the way that we approach sexuality in relationships. You know, I mean. I want to say too I also fantasized about love. <laughs> and <Yeah. romance. laughs> I wasn't just about like that. <laughs> yeah
0: but I mean I think it's okay. I think it's super cool when kids like have mm-hmm. that curiosity um, yeah. and yeah and people to explore it with like this kid to like make documentaries with about it and, and talk about it because I feel like it's something that um maybe it's changing but at least when I was growing up like at a certain age it was something that was just expected to like not be spoken about or or um and so I I think that bringing it into um I don't know bringing it into the light more and like Mm -hmm. not trying to like shove it into the darkness and make it something that's kind of shameful is such a big part of the work that we're doing today um not just like talking on this podcast but um in general, like in the world where we're kind of trying to make this shift. So it's less of like this repressed energy.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but, yeah. but yeah, that's, that's really, really interesting. Um, just to hear again, kind of like these, these slightly different experiences of it. Um, and from a Venus and Mars perspective, um, I don't know if folks are familiar with these planets astrologically or kind of what they represent. Um, Venus is typically linked to more of like um you know, for lack of better words, like the feminine principle when it comes to relationships, um, it's kind of the more like receptive side of relationships. Um, it is typically where we um, want to like really bond and establish like an intimate relationship with someone. Where Mars is typically a little bit more of like the desire principle, um, maybe a bit more like masculine and like active in nature, um, and and so again, this doesn't mean that like Mars is, is something that only men will really experience in relationships. And Venus is something that only women will experience, like everybody, men and women, um, and, you know, people who don't identify with either, like have a Venus and a Mars somewhere in their birth chart. And they're working with these archetypes in one way or another. Um, and interestingly enough, um, Tani and I actually have ours flipped. So Tani Mm -hmm. has her Venus in Capricorn, her Mars in Scorpio, and I have my Venus in Scorpio and my Mars in Capricorn. (laughs) Um, So actually like the fact that um, as a Taurus rising ruled by Venus and Scorpio conjunct Pluto, the fact that I wasn't more like curious about these things at a young age is, is maybe, um, you know, kind of surprising. (laughs) Um, Or, or maybe again, it was just something that, that I, um internalized as like shameful um or again maybe some karmic imprint some past life thing um around sex and intimacy kind of made me want to like shy away from it from a young age I don't know like I can't remember what my thought processes were around this when I was super young um but um it's it's definitely kind of yeah, just interesting to to think about, especially since our, our childhood, our conditioning, um, our familial upbringing, our ancestry—all of that does tie in. Um, and and when we're kids, in particular, like you know, we're we're really expressing kind of like our default modes around some of these things. Um, and so it's like very innocent, like, and and not something that we're necessarily like really thinking out or questioning or doubting so um so yeah really fascinating stuff (laughs) Um, (laughs) and actually you know one of the topics that we're going to be talking about in this conscious love course um is the moon and how our familial experiences maybe even kind of like our ancestral experiences um impact our experience and relationships, um, and also our attachment style, which is something um, that, you know, a a psychological concept or term that that Tanya would be able to speak to more. Um, But in astrology, we typically think of you know, what? one of the planets, at the very least, there's other kind of markers of, of family and ancestry and upbringing. Um, but the planet that we'd primarily think of associated with those topics is the moon. Um, and so whatever our moon is doing in our birth chart, whatever sign it's in, um, can typically tell us something, whatever house it's in can tell us something about, um, you know, kind of how we perceived or experienced our family and how we experienced our childhood how we were nurtured and and supported in that way. Um, And also, you know, it it plays out in our relationships. And the moon is also our emotional nature, is how we nurture ourselves, how we nurture others. And, you know, for some of us, we weren't taught to take care of ourselves or nurture ourselves, it was always about putting other people first. And and if we're raised that way, or we kind of um, see that in our upbringing, again, that can become like an imprint on our relationships. Um, Some of us maybe on the flip side, we're really encouraged to be independent, to to take care of ourselves. Um, But then we can also maybe have a difficult time with receiving nurturing from others. Um, So there's, there's a lot of different Ways these things can play out um, from an astrological perspective, but um, but I love it, Tani. If you'd share a bit about um, how this plays out, both in terms of attachment, um, and if there are any like kind of interesting stories or experiences, either personal or or otherwise, that you can think of around how family has played a big role in in this, um, you know, relationship experience.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. First, I just want to say what was coming up when you just said that because you're so poignant and it's so beautiful to hear you speak is I haven't really thought about the like if, for instance, my moon is in Virgo, right? Like, and I wonder about this, if when it comes to self-nurturance through attachment styles, if then I would nurture myself through that lens of Virgo. So it's just an interesting framework to look Mm. at. Um, with attachment too. So I just wanted to kind of name that as interesting as a potential. Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Uh, but yeah, I'll answer the question. Yeah, no, please. And <laughs> feel free to reflect. This is um, you know, it's it's really fun in my opinion when we're exploring these things for it to be organic. So yeah, cool. <laughs>
1: um, so I mean, similar to what you've been saying about this, these default modes or narratives that we have. Um, in our lives especially around sex and intimacy but around most things too like conflict styles um, and just the way we show up and nurture ourselves or can be in relationship we often learn from our primary caretakers and it doesn't have to be your mom or dad or your mom and mom your dad and dad whoever but typically the adults in our lives are the ones who teach us either through their words or through their actions uh, they don't even need to necessarily tell us and so we can learn um, whether it's safe to talk about sex, whether it's safe to touch ourselves, sexually or non-sexually, how close to be in connection with other people. And that really relates how I see it to attachment theory. Um, so there's three different forms of insecure attachment, meaning you didn't have enough safety or attunement to be able to feel really secure in yourself and secure in a relationship. Um, and then there is secure attachment. So. The way that I see insecure attachment is there isn't like a clear cut black and white way where somebody will be avoidant, um, otherwise called dismissive, anxious, otherwise called occupied or disorganized. Um, there are certain like kind of recipes to make that happen where if somebody uh, has maybe one parent who's very overbearing, then they could become more avoidant and fearful mm. of being in relationship because it becomes overwhelming. Whereas somebody else could be in that type of relationship and really overcompensate and try to be a parent to that parent or a partner to that parent. And that could be more anxious, trying to get their attention to be taken care of. And then the disorganized attachment could be somebody where there was more trauma and it didn't feel safe to be in connection, but you have to be in connection with somebody that that is an adult as a kid. Um, And so it becomes this very confusing world internally and not knowing how to be in connection. And then that all of that translates later into romantic connections. Mm. Actually not just romantic. Uh, We generally talk about attachment theory in terms of romantic relationships, but it's also friendship. It's also the way we are at work um, and our relationship with animals and the natural world
0: and things like that too i love that and you know since relationship is kind of this broad term and it could be relationships beyond romantic relationships and even um like you said the relationship with the natural world or the relationship with ourselves with our body um you know i hadn't really thought about how these attachment styles could apply to that um but right now we're working with this energy um astrologically um the north node of the moon this um you know i just talked about the moon it has kind of this strong link to our emotional nature um it's it is strongly linked to kind of our family and our upbringing um and maybe on some level like our ancestral inheritance as well um but the north node of the moon is like this evolutionary growth opportunity we're experiencing right now. Um, and it's in Taurus, which is a sign associated um, actually with like pleasure and peace and calm and joy. And then also with our experience of our physical body. Mm-hmm. Um and so, as you were talking about kind of these different attachment styles, I was thinking about how they definitely manifest in relationships with others. Um, but I hadn't thought about just how important they are for this connection with ourselves. And like, we can be avoidant with our bodies as well. Um, you know, we can have like this anxious attachment to to our bodies. And um, like, there's there's so many other ways of of thinking about this um, that. Honestly, like coming into this podcast, I, I hadn't even thought about how these relationships really can transcend this interpersonal realm. Um, but but yeah, I I love kind of how that framework can apply to so many different things. Um, and if we're thinking about it in that way, and we're kind of thinking about it in this lens, um, or through this lens of of karmic imprints, then you know. Any experiences that we have around, you know, self neglect, um, in maybe past lifetimes, early in this lifetime, um, again, like ancestral, um, you know, experiences where maybe our grandparents like neglected themselves, and then our parents did, and now we are, um, like all of these things also have this really powerful impact on our experience of relationships, um. You know, and, and similarly, if we have like this this these experiences of really healthy um, self-regard, then then that can play out too. Um, but yeah, just kind of a reflection on that. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that too, or, or kind of responses, especially thinking about it through this lens of like self and embodiment and and stuff like that. But as a somatic therapist, I'm <laughs> <to it. laughs> just like saying yes over
1: and over and over with my head and everybody goes Um, no, yes. I mean, when you were saying, you know, we can have this avoidant attachment with ourselves or anxious attachment with ourselves or disorganized attachment with ourselves, there's, you know, sometimes we hear from other people and I, or I imagine you've heard, like you have to love yourself before you can love another person. I don't generally love that because there can be a lot of shame that comes from that. Like if I can't love myself, then I don't get love from other people, but I really love this and talking about this and feeling into this as if I can have self connection with all of myself. And I recognize where I have avoidance anxiousness or confusion with who I am and the parts of myself and how to soothe myself and know myself the more I get to know that, the more I can be with another person and they get to love all of me and care for all of me. It's like this really beautiful inner exchange and outer exchange that gets to happen. And it takes really becoming aware of, in my view, of of the sensations of our, of this body that we're in here, this vessel for our soul.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I love the way you put that. And I'm also, I like that you brought up that term of we have to, love ourselves before we can love another. Cause I, I don't think that's really the case. I think that our love for others deepens as we love ourselves more. Mm. Um, <laughs> Say but, that, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but it's, it's definitely, um, you know, sometimes other people come into our lives that also like help us love ourselves more. So, so I think, you know, as humans, we are, relational beings again regardless of whether that relationship is to others or even to nature for people who are like really called to more solitude and in time yeah. and nature and things like that um there is this like evolution that happens as we enter into relationship with things beyond ourselves um and with ourselves but but, mm-hmm. but still. um and so so yeah that's really interesting and actually um on that note Venus is another planet that I mentioned um, that really kind of pulls us or, or compels us to enter into relationship. Um, regardless of what sign it's in, it makes us um, it makes us want to relate to, to socialize with, to understand, others um, on some level mm-hmm. um and so you know for some people they might say like oh but my venus is an aries that's like a very independent sign what that really means is you're learning to relate to others in an independent way maybe there have been um let's talk about like past lives again for a second. Cause I love this yeah. topic. Maybe there have been some past lives of like codependency. And so in this lifetime you get a Venus and Aries to be able to, um, enter into, to passionate relationships mm-hmm. to, um, to very loving relationships as well, but to maintain your own self of sense of self to kind of focus on your own needs as well as the needs of another. Um, yeah. and you know, and also to express like a healthy level of like anger and, and self-assertion in a relationship, which is part of, of maintaining, um, you know, like merging and, and creating like this this cool like synastry with another while also ensuring that both people still get to have their own identities. Um so so the different Venus placements, you know, some um like Venus and Libra, it might be a little bit um more flowing, like Venus is at home in the sign Libra, where there is mm-hmm. this natural desire to come together with another. Um, you know, there's this more of this natural, like extroverted relational energy where there is this emphasis on developing a relationship with another person growing through that um, different people have kind of different journeys around that um and again it's it's usually something that we're being given in order to continue growing in order to continue evolving because maybe we've been um lacking in that area for one reason or another in a past lifetime and now we're getting this opportunity to keep growing and evolving um there's also some challenging sides to to Venus, which I, I'll talk about in a minute. But um, but since you know. Tani is this expert on kind of intimacy, intimacy styles, things like that. And that's something that, um, that Venus is, is really linked to, this desire to relate, to enter into like intimate, loving bonds with another person. Um, I'd love it, Tani, if you could share a little bit about, you know, kind of intimacy styles um, that, that people might embody. And obviously it doesn't have to be, you know, the full range of them, but maybe some of like the big ones um, that people might resonate with.
1: Yeah, I mean when I think of intimacy styles related to attachment, um that one feels pretty opening for me because I think when often I just want to bring it back to attachment for a moment, yeah, if yes, that's okay. Please. Yeah. Um, is that oftentimes when people think about avoidant attachment, they'll think that people who have that kind of attachment don't actually want intimacy, that they don't have much of in an intimacy style. And I love what you just shared about Aries, because I I think that could be really helpful to look at that in a way for avoidance of they do have this burning bright inner fire avoidance. And typically they have a lot of anxiousness on the inside, Mm. but they don't have awareness of it. Mm. And so it's easier to not be in relationships. So it really takes, um, it really takes a kind of softening into recognizing your emotional world to be able to open to your intimate world. Mm. And that is pretty true across the board for any insecure attachment style is there's going to be a kind of, um, I don't want to say neediness. I'm trying to sort out how to say that in a way that doesn't sound judgmental, but a kind of grasping maybe that could happen with more of an anxious attachment style that could seem like they don't actually want real intimacy or they're not emotionally available when in fact, underneath that, they need their own love. They mm. need their own tenderness. They need their own self connection. So they they can have an intimacy style where they ha- they're tending to their inner fire and they can kindle the other person's inner fire, but it's not that kind of merging. Yeah. Um. And then with the disorganized too, it just first and foremost, always come back to this body component, which I really see as emotional literacy and emotional awareness of simply being able to acknowledge what is happening inside of us so we can healthily move to more to a more interdependent system of relationship and intimacy. And I think Esther Perel, she probably wasn't the one who pointed this, but she says, intimacy is into me you see. So mm-hmm. I, again, coming back to this concept of the inner world that we see and can be with, we can actually share with another. And so versus there being different intimacy styles that are vastly different, I think, Um, if anything, that might be more the way that I hold it related to values Mm. and then attachment style, but then the way that we relate is different, that makes Mm.
0: sense. It does. Mm -hmm. Um, And this is like a little bit beside the point, but you brought up this term that I've seen a lot. I've used it as well, and I don't always end yeah. up using it correctly. But interdependence and kind of moving mm-hmm. toward interdependence. Can you explain a little bit about um, kind of at least how you see that term or or that kind of healthy relationship evolution? Yeah, I definitely see it as a
1: healthy relationship um, evolution from where we are now. Because to me, it means that I have self connection and you have self connection and we can co-create something that, um, is secure together where we have boundaries, but we also are willing to recognize we have impact mm. because if we look at it culturally in Western culture, it seems, you know, there's a lot of codependency talk and then there's a lot of hyper-independence talk, mm. but I don't see so much talk unless you go to more spiritual teachers like Thich Nhat Hanh, who talked about interbeing, or or scientists like Dan Siegel who talks about interpersonal neurobiology, recognizing that we all impact each other deeply. Mm-hmm. So we can't be hyper independent yeah. because really that's just a feature, of, I, I think more of a feature of a capitalistic system that keeps us separate from each other and separate from our own hearts. And then if we're totally codependent, then we don't have connection with ourselves. Mm-hmm. So interdependence as I hold it is that is that real recognition of we are in this together, we co-create each other and it's very vital that we have our own um
0: sovereignty too Mm -hmm. I love that um and I feel like it's easier to see that sometimes we become blinded in relationships Mm -hmm. with others to this coexistence to um yeah, this fact that we are inextricably linked, and and no matter what, we are going to to influence and impact one another. And earlier you brought up this relationship to nature as well, um, which is another thing we're working on with this Taurus North node, is kind of reconnecting with the Earth, with its seasons, with its cycles, um, kind of realigning our collective values so that they also support the Earth um, and and kind of. Um, evolving our understanding of the material world so that it's not something to be conquered so that we're not always grasping Mm. for more in the material world and like more material security um and recognizing that if we kind of care for the root of our material security like the planet (laughs) um then then we all end up more secure at the end of the day whereas um otherwise again sometimes some people end up more material secure and, and others less so um depending on on how we treat the planet but again this is like more of this macrocosm perspective where we can really clearly see how, you know, by our, our individual relationships, even on some level, to the planet at large. And it's having kind of these broader consequences and affect and, and impact all people. But it's really hard <laughs> to remember to, to keep that in mind, not only in our relationships with others, but also our, in our relationships with ourselves, that even if we have like negative self talk, that's going to influence and impact others because that is going to become part of how we define ourselves and and part of our identities and part of who we are in the world. Um, And so it's, it's just, it's really interesting. Um, I don't know, this is just, this is a little bit out there, but just kind of thinking about, yeah, how sometimes when we're in relationships when we're thinking about relationships um, how, again, kind of shifting our perspective for a moment can help us understand some of these like more, complex concepts <laughs> um when we're you know coming together with just one other person um and especially what you said about kind of this like hyperindependence mm-hmm. um you know it's it's it isn't realistic and and like you mentioned you know there are like advancements in science that are showing how much of a influence um like a, on a material level like cellular level like we can have on one another um, so so it's really really interesting stuff um, when you said, I think you said it was Esther Perel says, intimacy is like, into me, you see. See, Yeah. (laughs) Um, I love that idea. And, um, you know, another topic that we're planning to talk about in this conscious love course is communication style. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I feel like, into me, you see, it's like, we all really want to be seen and understood in relationships. That's like, at the heart of security and safety, which is representative of like the moon and attachment style. Um, And we need to feel secure and safe. And and like we're kind of protected in in our relationships in order to enter into like these intimate bonds where we're comfortable merging with another person in in this um, deeper way. Um, and, And a lot of it comes down to being seen to being understood as well like this this is from like a heart space but also from a mental level like having someone um not only act and operate in ways where where we can tell they really see us but also be able to affirm it with words because we're such a, a verbal and like communicative species really um and so I'd, I'd love to hear just how um you know how Kind of communications, communication style, how that's also linked into all of this, into intimacy, into attachment, um, from your perspective, Tani? Yeah. Oh, there's so much there. It's like hard to know where to get. That's fine. Just
1: start wherever.
0: and, and I'll we'll start wherever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um I just, yeah, I'm really struck by the insight and recognition that all of us really truly want to be seen and known and understood on this kind of primal level we all want to belong
0: yeah
1: and that's also such like one of the things that really brought me to attachment work and and intimacy because though we all want that at our deepest core the trauma and and pain that we've all had in this lifetime and as you're bringing in maybe even previous lifetimes or intergenerationally can create barriers to being able to know that and then to be able to communicate it, mm. um, so we can look at that through the attachment lens, and we can look at that too through knowing what our what we're feeling and what our needs are. Mm. Uh, in nonviolent communication, um, and I, I'm gonna we're gonna bring that in or <laughs> a little bit in the in the workshop is um, this idea that we all have the same kinds of needs, but we have different strategies for getting them met. Mm-hmm. And so if we can communicate that in a non blaming way, then we'll actually be able to meet eye to eye, and then we'll be able to have that experience of resonance, mm-hmm. which is felt, it's a felt sense, right? Like you were saying with communication, we can feel understood, but then there's there can also be this deep sigh of relief of like, oh my God, I'm known, I belong, I, I'm here and you're here and you can see me. Mm-hmm. Um in a deeper way you can see me beyond this kind of fluffy form that we're in right now you can see past that yeah Uh, and so communication can be a real pathway i think to that transpersonal or beyond flesh connection
0: Mm -hmm. i love that um and again since we surprisingly have have also talked quite about kind of our relationships to ourselves and, and communication um, can also be that that inner communication the stories we tell ourselves and so on um, I want to share just a few kind of mythological underpinnings to some of the relationship stories and, and experiences that we um, have or that we see playing out in our lives because you know mythology is is just kind of this um, representative of of these larger human life principles and and experiences that we have Um, and earlier I brought up Venus the planet Venus this goddess of love in Roman mythology Um, and she is a really interesting character for a few reasons Um, originally she was linked to other great goddesses she was linked to like Ishtar Inanna um, she was linked to Hathor as well in Egyptian mythology and in those she was always both a love goddess and a warrior goddess and and so she had kind of this more multifaceted nature but in greco-roman mythology there was a god of war um and there were some goddesses of war but venus became primarily about love and beauty and things like that so there is this kind of interesting evolution there and i think that you know women from different cultures might even find if, if they're kind of playing out this venetian principle um that there's like more or less of a, of a comfort with being confrontational, with being um, warring, um, you know, if that Venus goddess of of love was kind of the, the root of the cultural myth um, versus this Venus um, as a goddess of love and war, you know, in Hathor's form, in Inanna and Ishtar, things like that. Um, so that's just kind of a, an interesting side note with Venus, but Venus was also married off to Hephaestus, who was um, this, this fantastic metal worker and craftsman, um, but he was also born um, like physically disfigured. And he was born to Juno slash Hera, the Greco-Roman queen of the gods, um, but according to myth, she bore him from herself um, because she was jealous that Zeus had born um, Pallas Athena and this, this goddess of war from himself, like without her. They were husband and wife and, and so they each had like a child without the other. Um, and then when he's born, physically disfigured, she kind of like abandons him um and so Hephaestus is like born to this mother who like abandons him and you know basically doesn't love him and then he ends up married to Venus who's like the most beautiful goddess of all But she's not really happy in the relationship. She's um, basically has an arranged marriage to him. Um, Zeus, the king of the gods, marries her off to Hephaestus because he thinks there's going to be trouble—that like other gods will be competing for Venus um, if he doesn't get her married and quickly. So he marries her off to Hephaestus. She's not really in love with him. So she's having all of these affairs. Um, And then he's like really hurt by her. And, and there's just this whole struggle there. And so part of why I love this story is because we're like Venus is the goddess of love and relationships. Um, But at the same time, she's in like a loveless marriage where like you know, fair enough, she wants to go find love and passion elsewhere. She finds it with Mars and Hermes and, and other lovers. But then we have Hephaestus, who, um, you know, on some level, maybe it seems like he's like winning by by getting to be married to Venus. Um, and you know, when we think about like history as well, there have been so many arranged marriages over time, um, where it seems like, you know, maybe um the male is, like, in the position of power, and so they're getting this, like, maybe younger wife, maybe beautiful wife, but then it's hard um, for the wife maybe to love them for one reason or another. Or not th- They're not getting the kind of love that they want or need, um, and so then, you know, this can, can progress into all kinds of issues within, like, the love and relationship dynamic, and when we, when we think of, like, Hephaestus and Venus as being this, like, um, you know, divine, like, mythological couple, um, geez, like, they weren't that happy, and that's one Mm -hmm. of one of the cultural underpinnings here, um, is, you know, a man who's, like, not loved in his relationship, wasn't loved by his mother, like, maybe that manifests as, like, um, someone with, like, issues around intimacy, or, or, like, if we're being, you know, talking about gender, like maybe a man who who struggles with women, you know, and, and that can be a karmic imprint and a really difficult one to overcome because that love just wasn't there. Um, and then when we're looking at Venus, it's like, you know, there have been throughout so much of history like women haven't had much choice when it came to partnerships and relationships um or you know there there wasn't much power for women and so so that's a karmic imprint too right this feeling of like kind of being powerless or or maybe even voiceless sometimes in a relationship um and one other quick couple that that you know really stands out is is Juno and Jupiter or Hera and Zeus the king and queen of of the gods um in Greco-Roman and Mythology, And Hera did not want to marry Zeus. Um, she had already expressed that she wasn't interested in, in him. They were actually like brother and sister. This wasn't uncommon in mythology for brother and sister to end up married. Um, but basically he um, knows that she has the soft spot for animals. And so he pretends to be a wounded bird and creates a storm. And he comes to her window and she opens the window to, um, to let him in because he, she thinks he's this little bird. She wants to care for him. Um, and then he turns back into her his human form and he basically like rapes her and and then um from there she becomes his wife or feels kind of like forced into to becoming his wife um and then throughout kind of the rest of mythology he's you know having lots of affairs Um she becomes known as like the jealous wife because she's um you know constantly kind of like going after the other women and nymphs and and goddesses that he's having affairs with um and so these are like two of our like primary relationship experiences like we talk about Venus as the goddess of love in astrology um Hera slash Juno is the goddess of marriage and committed relationships but when we really get into the myth like man this is this is some heavy stuff and it's representative of like so much that we've experienced over the course of of history um again lots of betrayal and, and infidelity on both ends um loveless marriages loveless relationships um you know really Relationships where people do feel completely abandoned and isolated and alone for one reason or another. Um, relationships where there's major power imbalances. Um, you know, Zeus also kind of like strips Juno of her power on some level because she's linked to like the great goddess before um, she becomes his counterpart. And then she's kind of. Um, dulled or muted in her power it becomes shared with him, which isn't inherently a bad thing to have shared power, um, but in her case it wasn't it wasn't chosen and she was actually kind of disempowered in the process and disrespected. So again this is like um yeah, these are some of the things that we're kind of working with you know whether we realize it consciously or not um there's these greater patterns at play and and they, affect us and they impact us and so having patience with ourselves and compassion with ourselves um they're actually up against kind of a lot (laughs) when it comes (laughs) to just like existing in this place of like love and and trust and um and yeah all that good stuff in relationships it's it's um it takes time it takes work it takes patience it takes healing like we're we're kind of born or coming into this world this like these collective archetypes um yeah with with a bit of a disadvantage that that we're um for lack of better words I don't want to make it sound like we're like totally screwed (laughs) but but, you (laughs) know like we've got a lot of stuff that we're working through so um so yeah I don't know do you have any you know reflections on that response to that other stories that that jumped to mind for you Tani well I just really appreciate you bringing in these myths
1: and you know, very old, old myths. Yeah. Uh, as, as the kind of foundational principles that maybe some of our societies have been built upon. And then there's other fairy tales too, and other myths, and also the myths and fairy tales from our families mm-hmm. and from our smaller communities. And I was just thinking as you were sharing that, yeah, how we can unconsciously react to living out these patterns. Um, and say that we don't want it, yet maybe there's a kind of excitement that we can get from feeling like we're in an unrequited love situation or something along those lines, maybe something totally different, being the one that's kind over. Um, yeah. And and yeah, so it's like, I think that doing this kind of work of recognizing the narratives, the patterns, the myths that were that are kind of running us, we get to slow down and collectively dream together what we truly desire in a more nourished way uh, and what we want to create and what was coming up for me is in my own life is I really love the kind of sacred marriage or Eros Gamer's myth Mm -hmm. and not not everybody does I don't mean to say that should ever be everybody's desire but just that recognition in myself helps me to discern where I'm at where I've been and where I want to be and then how I can align with somebody or people who also align and have that too because if we don't have that awareness of what we want and then the discernment of choosing our partners that are aligned then we'll just you know fall into these same kind same kind of myths that are just prevalent around us
0: yeah and would you share a bit about that myth for people who aren't familiar with it that are tuning in
1: yeah. Um, well, when I think of, I think that there's many myths and correct me if I'm wrong for the Eros game with the sacred marriage, but the first one that I think of is Psyche and Eros, okay. um, which also interestingly enough with our conversation today is often talked about as female psychology and self-love, hmm. like the, the journey back to herself. Yeah. But, um, you know, when I first heard it and, and read about it, I was at a point in my life where it resonated with me because Psyche uh, was is basically put through all of these trials and tribulations in order to prove her love to Eros mm-hmm. after she does something wrong to him um, by seeing who he truly was because he was a god, um, and then you know after she does that then they're together and she has help, lots of help from other people and other gods and goddesses and other creatures uh like ants um (laughs) but you know it's this but then as I'm recognizing and disentangling the kind of negative things about that myth are that you have to prove yourself yeah in order to be loved right so that could also there is pros and cons to that myth as there are every myth
0: right absolutely Yeah. yeah and it's I'm glad that you brought up kind of some of the more um I guess the the more positive sides of that myth because I think there are a lot of them and I think it is a reminder that love and and relationships are this journey and this this um major way to grow not only as individuals but also to grow with another um and also that there's there are challenges involved like that it, it doesn't just um quickly become a happily ever after like there's these different things along the way that that we have to grow through and, and overcome in order to have the kinds of relationships we want and then once we get them we still have to keep growing <laughs> right. totally kind of ends, you know yeah yeah um, but but i often um i to be honest like had often thought about the psyche myth um in a bit of this like um you're just supposed to like trust this this person that comes into your life that seems really fantastic. And like if you like slip up and and you like lose the trust for a second, then like you could lose them forever. <laughs> and maybe wow. that's like, my trust issues. <laughs> um, because like I feel like people have to to earn trust and he just like comes into her life and is like you have to trust me and while he has been like wonderful to her like before her trust falters and and again to be fair like there's like external influence um, totally it's like her sisters that come along and they're feeling Mm -hmm. like some jealousy and so they tell her to look at him um kind of knowing that that could create problems um But, but I mean, even in real life, like that happens sometimes too. Sometimes people really care about us and they say like, you've never seen this, this person, like you you don't know this person for who they truly are, or you've only been with them for, for, you know, a couple of weeks, like how could you really know them? (laughs) And they're not like trying to place doubt in your mind because um, they're trying to hurt you. Like they're trying to protect you or that's the way they feel, right? Is that they're doing something loving and protective. Um, And then for everything to kind of come like, crashing down because of that. There was a part of me that, that again, like myths really help us grow <laughs> because they, um, reflect and represent things within ourselves. But for me, that brought up this feeling of like, man, like I've got to be able to ask people a million questions and like really get to know them before I just like lean into mm-hmm. this, like trust and faith, um, my own karmic imprints, let's say with like my Scorpio Venus conjunct Pluto. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, but, but yeah, so it's, it's really interesting. Um, because there is a, a really beautiful side to it. Um, and, and yeah, and, and I guess that even just in that reflection, like in relationships, we have to fight our own resistance that we come up against that like things yeah. could be beautiful and joyous and wonderful, you know? Um, yeah. so yeah, I'm, I'm really glad you brought that one up because it's, um, it's a really fascinating myth and, and also, the way that anyone who heard it finds themselves reacting or responding to it like it it tells Mm -hmm. something about where we have some room to like soften (laughs) definitely (laughs) yeah yeah
1: yeah 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 but the the trust part does make so much sense right like why did she trust him and I hadn't thought about it from that perspective really and um I was just more drawn to the fact that she was so willing to work so hard and yeah. be so full of integrity. And I think if I were to look at the myth in more of a balanced way and more of a conscious relationship way, I would hope that both of them could be full mm-hmm. of integrity and working towards their own self-actualization and working towards the relationship together. So it wasn't so one-sided
0: yeah. and that, that would be ideal. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I do um I'm glad that you brought that one up though because I think it is meant to be more about like um a woman's journey in in relationship um on some level and and I also love that you brought up that it's about like hard work and integrity in relationships because like Capricorn <laughs> Venus also is like yes like <laughs> let's climb that mountain that's you know? my Venus yeah true. I and know my Scorpio Venus is like don't <laughs> trust anyone <laughs> no but um <laughs> But yeah, it's um, Asks it's some service, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and then the Virgo uh-huh. moon, yeah, um, but but yeah, it's it's really interesting, but there's also you know, there's definitely myths of um, you know men also like having to make that descent totally. or like the masculine principle in a relationship mm-hmm. um, like orpheus i might be butchering this woman's name but like when he has to go try and save i believe it's eurydice um from the underworld when she gets bitten by a poisonous snake and so he also has this like descent into the underworld um which you know is kind of psyche's journey it's like she's making this descent mm-hmm. um and then he also, like, his trust falters. He um, finds her, but he's not allowed to look back and confirm that she's actually there. He just has to trust that she's following him back out of the underworld, and he looks at the last minute, and then she's gone, and so I think, you know, to, to be fair, like, there are these um, different myths and and stories that represent kind of this journey that that both, like, um, the masculine and, and the feminine experience around trust, around, um, you know, belief that, that these, you know, that relationships can work out, that we can actually, um, you know, get what we want and what we've asked for, um, with some hard work, (laughs) um, but but also with enough like trust because otherwise it's really easy to just like flee, (laughs) um, the the moment things kind of get hard or, um, the moment our, our confidence kind of wavers. So, Mm. um, so yeah, really interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As we're talking about this, I kind of unraveled
1: this insight around the this work that we're doing here, um self-understanding, relationship understanding, intimacy work, that a lot of these stories, probably the majority of stories, seem to be about some kind of power Mm -hmm. um and earning trust in each other and needing to prove and go to the underworld to uh like bring the gems back, but for our lover. And that seems like it kind of makes it a game. Mm -hmm. And I think I have a hope that we could that we can, in our own inner work, decondition the love narratives of needing to do that with a partner mm-hmm. and instead put that kind of enduring personality in other places of love, whether that's like spiritual or professional development, but have love and intimacy or creativity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and have relationships be more of a secure foundation that can help us get to those places instead mm-hmm. of being so wrapped up and looking into the eyes of another to prove our work.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm totally with you there. And actually, it's interesting because Venus also represents like creativity and artistry, Mm -hmm. um, or she has that that linkage as an astrological archetype. Um, And so there is kind of this interplay between, um, you know, kind of our love um, not only is something that kind of gets channeled into relationships, the power that comes from love, the endurance, like all of these things that we learn um, through the experience of, of being like heart-centered loving beings, um, but also there's, there's this emphasis on, you know, what you can create with that, like this creative power um, that comes through. Um, and and yeah whether that's creating something in business like you mentioned um or you or know art artistic yeah. or yeah. or whatever that may be mm-hmm. um but yeah there's there's definitely like just like you know you brought venus and intimacy back to attachment style like all of it is interrelated um and i think that we definitely i feel like we're at least I, th- I think actually collectively, like globally, like we're moving in a direction of um more of this willingness to to work on ourselves and where relationships aren't something where we just kind of default mode like enter into them. Um, the more that I work with clients and and more and more parts of the world, like relationships are a really common thing that come up in astrology mm-hmm. and um, and it's just cool to see how people are becoming more and more empowered in their relationship's journey and it's not just something that like you have to do where it becomes really easy for it to become like a chore almost or um or again just something that we default to like there's more choice there's more power in it um and you know being gentle with ourselves if we want those things because as you brought up earlier like belonging is so core to us and for I'd say like pretty much all of our souls our ability to like belong in this lifetime and lifetimes past um to have like healthy relationships whether they were familial or romantic or both or community or professional like these things um have been so Key and like core to our survival, and and they still are on some level. Like there's like like we talked about earlier, like hyper independence. Like nobody's truly independent, but but relationships are a big part of of surviving <laughs> on this planet. And so um so if you know we find ourselves falling a little too far in the direction of of, like, need around relationships, like, Mm -hmm. that's okay, too, um, we can have empathy for ourselves that this is, this is, you know, part of, of, um, you know, a healthy root chakra, a healthy, like, um, feeling of stability and and survival on this planet to, to be able to enter into healthy relationships with others, um, so I definitely see, like, things shifting and evolving in a really healthy direction, like you were saying, um, and, like, it's okay if we like, um, aren't 100% there yet because there's like, yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And maybe we'll never 100% be there 100% of the time. And it makes sense where we're at. Mm -hmm. I love that you're bringing in, um, you know, the gentleness and compassion piece because it's really the only way forward. And, you know, there's no point in beating ourselves up continuously because it's just, I mean, I know I do it. I'm sure you do it. We
0: all do it. You know,
1: it's just that it's, it feels more revolutionary to be able to love ourselves, to yeah. be able to be soft with ourselves.
0: Definitely. Um, And yeah, I, I really love that you brought that up. Like I, this, this podcast today has definitely brought in, um brought the self into relationships a little bit more than I've been thinking about it maybe in life (laughs) and, and, and in general, like recently when I've been kind of exploring this, this concept of relationship and, um, and doing my own growth around it. And also like when we're doing this course um, and so I'm, I'm really glad that we, Um, Explored that topic today. I hope that everybody who tuned in um, also enjoyed and was able to kind of glean some interesting or useful um, insights, maybe some food for thought (laughs) um, (laughs) from what Tani and I had to share today. And um, I want to do one more quick. Um, just kind of pitch creating awareness that we are going to be doing this conscious love course it's going to be really fun um also hopefully very empowering (laughs) and um and lots of like I think um in my opinion I'm a little bit biased but but interesting information both around like the astrology and mythology the psychology of relationships um and and for anyone well You know, we're all in relationships on one way or another, I was going to say, for anyone who's, like, really exploring relationships right now, but but all of us are are kind of growing and evolving in that regard. Um, But if this has piqued your interest, if you found your way to this podcast, it it likely does. Um, we would love to see you there, um, again, April 1st and 2nd in the U.S. April 1st is April Fool's Day. We're talking Mm -hmm. about maybe adding a little byline of why do fools (laughs) fall in love, exploring the fool archetype a little bit, um, but yeah, so, so we hope to see you there. We hope you enjoyed this and, um, Tani, do you have anything you want to say, um, before we close? I'm just really excited to be doing this work with you and for anyone
1: and everyone who wants to do it.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so, so much, Tani. This was such an awesome conversation, and I hope everybody has a really wonderful rest of their day.